All right, all right. Welcome back to the Monetize Your Mindset podcast. Today we sat down with Squamashi, aka Spencer. Spencer is doing so many things with his life. It, you know, you have people out there saying that the American dream is dead, that you can't get ahead anymore. And, and I beg to differ with you. Spencer is living proof that things can be done. He does so many things, and we'll get into that here in a little bit, but you know what we got to do first. Roll it. Are you prepared for what happens when what happens happens? Life happens when you least expect it. Create financial security. Monetize what you already know. Welcome to Monetize Your Mindset. Monetize Your Mindset. Identify your ideal side hustle so that you have the resources to deal with whatever happens when what happens happens. It's time to monetize your mindset. Here's your host, Bart Merrill. All right, like I said, we're sitting down with Spencer. Spencer, he's an animator. He also does logos and graphic design work. He's been extras in movies, makes several hundred dollars a day just being an extra in a movie. He does YouTube training and teaching people how to to SEO their YouTube stuff so that they get SEO'd on Google because Google owns YouTube. There's just so much stuff that he's doing that, it, man, with the world today, with the internet the way it is, there's no reason you should be doing stuff that you don't want to do. So I highly encourage you to listen to this one. He's doing so much. He's just a young kid. Do you know how hard it would have been to do the things that you're that he is doing at his young age when I was his age? I think it would have been pretty hard. So this this is going to be a great this is a great interview. And I hope you guys can get something from it. But before we get on to the interview, before we get started here, I want to talk to you a little bit about TaxBot. TaxBot is a lifesaver if you ever get audited. I've heard stories about how much a nightmare an audit can be because you don't have all the proper information that the IRS wants. When you're using TaxBot, you can't save a receipt. You can't save a trip to, to, to deduct your mileage without putting in the proper information which the IRS wants you to have in order to take that deduction. TaxBot is one of those things that you're not going to regret paying for because it is dealing with the information that you need for the IRS. Now, if you're going to be a side hustler or a small business owner, side business owner, or even just a regular business owner, TaxBot could come in handy. Now, I am an affiliate for TaxBot. And if you go to bartmerrill.com and you happen to scroll down, go to the resource page and scroll down to the TaxBot and click learn more and sign up for TaxBot, I get a piece of the action. It doesn't cost you any more. I just get a little piece of it for promoting it. So if you are so inclined and it's something that you can use, I don't want you to buy something that you can't use. But if it if it, you're so inclined and it is something you can use, I would appreciate your support. So go to bartmerrill.com. Click on that resource page, scroll down to TaxBot, click on learn more, and check it out. All right, without further ado, we're going to get to Squamashi. All right, welcome Squamashi. Thanks for having me. Squamashi, I'm going to go to Spencer now. This is Spencer. His artist name is Squamashi. You know, thanks for coming over today. Can you explain to us what Squamashi is? Yeah, when I was... 14, I had a pet iguana and I was obsessed with lizards. And so I looked up the Latin root for, well, the Latin root for covered in scales is squama. Then I just added the 
she at the end, S-H-I-I, just to make it sound Japanese. And I've just been using that name on all my art ever since. That's awesome because when I heard the Mashi, I was just like, that could be Japanese, but I but I know there's no squaw ma. I mean, there's no squaw in Japanese. There's no SQ in Japanese. So I was looking at it and I was like, okay, nah, it's not a Japanese word. But it's funny that you said that it's to make it sound Japanese, you had to put that she on the end. Yeah. What's your obsession with Japanese? I actually don't have an obsession with it. I served my mission for the LDS Church, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in France, actually. And Hmm, That makes sense. And then I spent two summers working with Japanese kids when I was 21 and 22 as a group leader for foreign exchange students. Oh, okay. That's my only link to Japan. Gotcha. Well, and then we're going to be talking animation, and so animation kind of kind of comes from Japan, doesn't it? Um, there's some animation from Japan, but I actually don't even watch anime. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's kind of get into what you do. Let's take a second here and take a second and introduce yourself to to my audience. Okay, so my name is Spencer, and I grew up in a Utah Mormon homeschool family. Okay. Um, I'm the second of eight living children. Right now, what I do is I'm an animator, a freelance animator, and I do graphic design. I've done logo designs. I help people with YouTube SEO. And right now I'm developing a card game that I'm getting ready to take to Kickstarter. Okay. So in this home of yours, in your home of eight, where did you get your entrepreneurship? I mean, because you got a lot of things going on. You got the animator thing. You got the the SEO. You have the card game where you're. I mean, that's the creative side of things. And so I, you're. I got a. I guess a lot of your stuff is creative, but you also got to have a little bit of entrepreneurship behind that to to do it on your own. Yeah. Where did you get that? Well, when I was little, my dad would tell us stories about his grandpa, who was an inventor. He had like. This guy, my great grandpa, was a barnstormer. So he was a, a hustler. He would he had an airplane back in the nineteen twenties and would people would pay him to fly them around and so that was one of his hustles, right? Right. When, when he was little, his mom would pay him a dime to go get his hair cut, but he wouldn't go to the barber. He would put a bowl on his head and cut around it. <laughs> and then he would use that money to go buy bamboo rods that he built his own hang glider and just like that kind of stuff. So my great grandpa is kind of, I think, inspiration for a lot of it. His son, my grandpa, started an emu farm. In Utah? In southern Nevada. Oh, southern Nevada. Okay. <laughs> so that was like another another big thing. Was like That was just always so cool that my, my grandpa just did this. He thought it was cool. So he went out and bought emu eggs, built up a farm to raise the meat back when emus were a big thing in the early 90s. I've never had emu meat. It's really good. Okay. (laughs) And so was your dad an entrepreneur or was he just an employee? Not just, but what, or was he an employee? My dad has a master's degree and he's the only one that actually just had a job and is good at it. (laughs) So he, but still he was willing to tell you the stories to help encourage your entrepreneurship. It sounds like he did. He told us the stories. My mom, when I was little, so when I was about six years old, Mm -hmm. I was, I used to sit in this big golden chair in our living room and that was my the big golden chair. It, it was a, yeah, it was my thinking throne, right? It was <laughs> Your a, thinking throne. 
my mom would walk through and she'd see me there and she'd be like, what are you doing? Go play outside. I'm thinking. She's like, what are you thinking about? Uh, just how to solve problems. So then after that, she let me sit there and she, she taught me the word meditation. And that was, she just, she would see me there and I heard her say several times to people like, oh, there's Spencer sitting in his thinking chair meditating on how to solve the world's problems. So she let me do that. She also soon after that gave me a stack of paper that she said was my invention journal. And she told me just to write things down and draw pictures, take notes of anything I invented. So that was a good a good boost that got my brain thinking. And then in high school, I actually would read more books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and those kinds of books over reading novels. Because right. I, would, I would rather read books on how to do something than... A, a story, I guess. I would either read those or textbooks on animation programs and programming. <laughs> I don't know. Well, that, so. that, that's awesome. I mean, gosh, this is already going to be a good podcast because we have the thinking chair. Yeah, my golden or the golden meditation yeah, throne. The yeah. golden thinking chair <laughs> that's turned into a meditation throne. So you're into meditation. I am. Yeah. Yeah, I tried that once. <laughs> I tried, I actually did. I downloaded an app called Headspace. I'm sure, have you heard of Headspace? I've heard of it. I haven't ever used an app. Because, it, you know, all my, I shouldn't say all, but several of my coaches would say, yeah, you need to meditate. And I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. Do you, how do I start? And so I paid for a year of this Headspace and they deal with like five to 10 to maybe 15 minute ones. That's at least, at least that's as far as I got. Because seriously, I'm sitting there, I'm like going, okay, is it over yet? Can I, can I leave now? I, right. I, I can't, I, I haven't been able to make it. But then I just, I told you earlier before that a buddy of mine, Keith, he talks about meditation and how it's helped him overcome anxiety issues and business, worrying about business things to where he could handle almost anything. And he talked about the out of body experience during meditation. And he says, Oh dude, you need to 10 minutes. That's not enough. You need to meditate for 45 minutes. And I'm just like 45 minutes. What am I going to do there? So why did you get into meditation? So for me, meditation is a way to take a break from the noise of life and to organize my thoughts. So by my, when I meditate, I'm not listening to a voice going, you're walking through a forest or whatever, whatever those are. I, that's more like self-hypnosis. What I'm listening, I'm not listening to anything. I just have it be quiet or I go for a run or a walk and just think about the the things that I want to accomplish. Think of myself being at the finish line already and think of being, think of the emotion that surrounds that. Okay. So, so I'm going to challenge you here. Okay. I, I, my understanding is in meditation, you're not supposed to think about anything. Visualizing is what it sounds to me like you're doing. That's more, you could call it visualizations. Yeah. If that is the definition of meditating, then I've only done that once. And that was with a friend who was a Buddhist and we prayed together and that's how he, he taught us to pray with him. So for, for two whole minutes, we weren't allowed to think of anything and it was the hardest, that was the hardest thing ever. So that's what I was trying to do. Oh, okay. Is, and, and Keith does a good job of saying, okay, you're, you're, you're not, you're, you're not thinking, you're observing your thoughts to a point that your thoughts disappear. Anyway, yeah. it's it's interesting, and and if anybody listening hasn't listened to Keith on, it's the podcast titled "Immune to Suffering." Go back and listen to that because he's really good. He talks about a lot of good, interesting stuff. Don't know if I can do it, but I'm gonna try someday. <laughs> 
Now let's get into what you're doing with your, let's start with animation. Okay. What do you do and who do you do it for? I am a character animator. I, I can do the whole shebang so I can model 3D modeling, rigging, which is setting up characters for animation and then animating. And I'm getting into compositing and video tracking to put it into live action footage. Okay. I do that for a studio, Blue Fire Studio in Orem, but they they give me shots that are already tracked, right? And then I animate the characters or monsters for their movies. Uh, so for the layperson like me who I know what animation is, I know what you're doing. Well, I know, I know what I know what the end product is. What does that entail when you're actually doing it? Just give me a and I don't know if you can, but how does that work? Basically, you have a digital world, like digital 3D space that like you can you can create a cube and then you can push pieces of the cube around and sculpt it with your mouse. Or if you have a tablet, it's easier to use a pen, um, like a stylus. Um, you can sculpt there and then you create different points on the model after you've built it that are the pivots. So say you had a say you have a model of a hand. Okay. You'd put a pivot in the wrist, a pivot on each knuckle, and then you connect those to your model so that you can move those pivots to move the model. That's about as simple as I think I can <laughs> I can say it. So for someone my age, and I'm I'm 52, just so you can have a, a, a concept of how old I am. Someone my age, we would draw a stick figure, and it, on each page it would have a different movement. You know, it would. And so to watch my animation, I would go like this with a paper, with a book, right? And you would see the the animation come. Yeah, I, yeah, that's actually what I started out doing when I was twelve. Okay, so you get it. Building my own flip books, and yeah. Of course, mine was simpler. It was a library book with that I'm not supposed to write on with stick figures. Yeah, <laughs> and and so that's the way we did it when I was a kid. So, what are some of your finished products for? I mean, what would it be a person? Would it be, I mean, you, you use the idea of a hand. What would some of your finished products be? I mean, I think of Mickey Mouse and, and stuff like that. Is, right. it, is it that complicated or is it more simple stuff? So I've worked on some Star Wars type. Uh, I, I did work for a YouTube channel that was a Star Wars fan films. I've done work on dinosaur stuff for cool. for indie people. I've done monster. The stuff I'm doing for the Blue Fire Studio is a lot of monsters and creatures, but I've done like a squirrel and rats and birds and things like that. So cool. what what's exciting about it for me is that it's always different and right. that I'm not always working on the same character or the same monster. Like one day you could be working on a T-Rex and then a week later you're working on a butterfly. And at that point, the butterfly is not boring because it's like, well, right now the butterfly is easy, so I'm going to be happy with this. Right. But then I like the challenge of something more complicated later. And so it, it fluctuates. And so did you go to school for this or did you just pick it up? Um, I did go to school. I taught myself starting when I was... well In the chair. In, in the chair. <laughs> when I was 14... I was already doing the flip books, building clay models, like sculpting so that I could create stop motion videos, right? But I didn't ever do the stop motion videos because I didn't have a camera. So when I was 14, my uncle showed up with this software that he had bought at a trade show and he didn't have time to learn how to do it because he was getting his master's degree and he knew I was interested in animation. So he gave me the software. At that point, like, I don't need a camera anymore. I can do this all on the computer. 
And that's kind of where I took off with it, spent all my free time learning animation on my own, going through forums because YouTube didn't exist yet, right? right? So just lots of forums. Then when I got home from my mission, I went to BYU and Animation Mentor, which is an online school. Okay. And then just recently finished a bachelor's at Utah Valley University. All, all those things were for animation. Awesome. <laughs> How prevalent are the jobs for animation right now? In Utah, they're not. Right. So that's one reason why I consider myself a hustler. Right. Because if I want to keep doing this in Utah, then I have to find other ways to supplement this income. Because there's only, there's like three game studios in Salt Lake and only two visual effects studios that I know of. And I'm involved with one of them already. So, And, and as a freelancer, do you get much work or with animation or not? Um, it, it varies. There's kind of a season for it. So summer to fall is when people tend to have projects. And then around Christmas time through spring, it drops off. During that period, I might have zero to one projects at a time. And then during the summer, I can build it up and have four or five projects going at a time if I wanted it, right? Okay. And, and so the obvious question here is, does it pay well? It pays pretty well. Okay. And it depends on what you set your own prices. And and if they get caught up. Right, yeah. Yeah, if someone takes them up. Okay. You You said you're a side hustler because there's not a lot of you know, like job, job work here in, in Utah, right. would you have to, if you moved somewhere else, would there be more work? Well, or, but, but that would turn into a job, job, right? Where you go in to work. Right. If I was living in say Southern California with Disney or Pixar down there, then, then that would be a job, job that I'd be going into work. Right. Yeah. Right. So here I can work from home and I have a studio set up in my apartment that like a good computer setup that I can right. work from home. And that's what, I mean, come on, that's that's the spice of life anyway, working from home. Yeah, that's what everybody wants, right? We think we want it until you actually got it, and then you're like, oh, my wife thinks I'm here all day to do honeydew lists. Yeah. I have to, my, my wife comes in sometimes, and she's like, can you do this? I'm like, honey, I'm at work right now. I'm not home. We just barely had our first baby, so this last three weeks has been a lot of like trying to figure out how to rebalance things again, but that's going to be fun for you yeah. and then when they get big enough to be noisy and, and run around and, yeah. and come into the office and bother you. Yeah. I'm excited. All right. So, so what are you, you said you do graphic design. Yeah. What does that entail and who do you do that for? Um, most of the graphic design stuff I've done is for just people I've found like friends that needed logos made for their businesses, or I'm part of different job boards or networking boards on Facebook. So okay. just re if there's, if there's a time when I don't have a project, then I fall back to that kind of thing. Cause more gotcha. people, more people are looking for a graphic artist than an animator just because people don't know where to even start when finding an animator. Like right. they have a business, maybe they make, they need to make promo videos, but they have no idea that they can even reach out to an animator or what that entails. Right. Right. So it's easier to find people that are looking for logo work or small graphic projects. So on those sides, I do pretty small projects just to keep myself busy. Gotcha. You touched on how your projects for an animator are few and far, not few and far between, but they nobody knows where to look. So I see in my Facebook ads every once in a while, Doodly. Have you heard of Doodly? 
doodly no so they it's it's supposed to be an easy way to do the the animation of oh, drawing oh a character like a whiteboard animation yeah right? but it but it it's the hand moving and yeah is that not animation or not uh i just wondered I mean, if doody doodly is a competition of yours or not i guess it is um it's a form of animation but it's pretty small scale is that I pretty guess. simple stuff yeah and to be honest, I mean, not I'm not trying to knock Doodly if someone's using Doodly, but the one that I saw, which was probably a couple of years ago, yes, the hand moved with the the writing or the drawing or whatever, but it it wasn't exactly on target. Yeah, if that makes sense. And a lot of those aren't because it's what they're doing is they're just translating a picture of a hand right. moving around or something, right? Yeah, I, I guess. So, yeah. So what I'm what I do is closer to. Like the Geico commercials with the lizard. Oh, or, gotcha. Like that's the kind of animation that I do. You mean he he's not real? Nope. Uh, he, oh, he might man, be. That's but, just like. But I could make one that looks like him, I guess. Man, you just that, That's like you telling me that Santa Claus isn't real. Oh, I'm just devastated. Okay, let's move on. Okay, now we're going to go move into YouTube stuff. Okay. What have you done with YouTube and, and what are you currently doing? So what I've done, I was part of a, back back in my MLM years, I was part of a, a community of digital marketers okay. that I had a friend that I met then. I met him at a business convention in Vegas for one of these MLM companies, right? Okay. And he was a programmer and he came up with different tools and things to help um, MLM businesses market their companies. So that's, that's where I got started with it. It's learning from him and the different YouTube secrets that he had to rank videos. And then what I would do is take those tactics and reach out to small businesses and help them, first of all, be comfortable talking in front of a camera because that's it's really scary to people yeah. to, to just do the first video and sit in front of a camera and talk and then help them write the titles, teach them about keywords and how those work because YouTube is a free marketing platform, basically. Right. And if you're a small business, it's actually better for you than if you're a large business because small businesses are local. So here's a secret. is that small businesses are local and it's easier to rank for a keyword that is local. So for example... Salt Lake's best podcast or or Pleasant... Let's get even more local. Local, yeah. Pleasant Grove's best podcaster. Right. So you say the state and the name of the city and that's already, if, so they said chiropractor in Pleasant Grove, Utah. That's way more specific than just chiropractor. Right. right? So some big corporation is targeting things like chiropractor and they're putting all their money into that because people searched chiropractor near me or whatever. Right. And something like that is almost impossible to rank for. Right. But if you are simple, if you step back and say, instead of targeting the whole world, I want to target... People who can actually come. Yeah. <laughs> I want to target like actual people that are in my market, then you have a chance. And and so everybody listening, if you're in business and you're trying to do YouTube stuff, that's a, that's a good tip. I mean, start local and then grow from there. Right. And Google owns YouTube. So if you can rank on YouTube, Google will put those video previews at the top of the Google search list. So you don't have to learn how to rank on Google. You just have to learn how to rank on YouTube and Google will rank your videos. Once again, 
If you're listening, that's a that's a great tip about YouTube stuff. You said you help people get comfortable in front of the camera. Right. How? For, um, for someone, I mean, once again, I'm just trying to give tips to listeners who may think, ah, camera. So How did you help them? I sit there with them and coach them through the first one. So the, okay. the types of tips that I would tell them would be to write down a list. So say you have a video that is 90 seconds long, right? Mm-hmm. You want to keep it between a minute and three minutes long at first. And now, I mean, now it's been a couple of years in the algorithms for YouTube might have changed, but I think the algorithm um, now is 10 minutes. Yeah. 10 minutes gets you the most likely chance of ranking because right. it has a chance of having two ads during a video. That's why. Gotcha. But to help somebody just be comfortable, just have them come up with a list that they can look at so that they don't stumble over their words and they don't, they're not scared about that anymore. So they can say step one is this, step two is this, step three is this, the end. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and then have them not worry about having the perfect equipment or perfect editing software or whatever. All they need is their phone and a tripod or somebody else to hold the phone and they have what they need. Right. And people, people will see that on YouTube see that raw personality and connect with that better than if they tried spending all this money making a three minute commercial. Right. Anyway. So just helping them break, break down those fears, figuring out what their, their actual fear is and simplify it so that they can, they can do it. I know when I'm recording, it helps me to have someone here to help me continue to smile, to make me smile. And it, yeah. it, I think it's important, especially if, if you're a videographer and you're listening to this and you don't do this to your clients, you need to. It's the videographer's job to make sure that you're pleasant, to keep you smiling. And I'll, I'll have my speech coach or I'll have a buddy of mine come and just sit while I'm recording. And their job is to smile, you know, and, and you know, just make me smile by trying to make me smile. <laughs> Yeah. And, and that just helps to have that person there to continue to do that. Because if you, at least in my situation, people tell me that if I'm, if I'm concentrating, if I'm saying something, sometimes I'm not smiling enough. And, and so it just helps to have that person there. Yeah. And as an example, before coming here last night, I made a list of things that yeah. I could talk about if I got stuck. Right. So I, so I feel like I feel better prepared for this instead of just showing up and not having any idea of what to talk about. And you haven't pulled that list out once yet. I actually haven't because you've been really good at asking questions that I know the answers to. Okay, so I, I wanted to just point out a couple of things to to people who are in business. If you need an animator, you have one in, in Squamashi. And then you also have, if you need a logo or something like that, you can look him up as well. On logos, what are what should people think about on logos? The most important thing I think with a logo is that it's memorable. Okay. So have it be, you don't want to just copy a symbol that somebody else has, like a, a generic star or a, a big C or something. You want it to be something iconic that is simple that anybody can look at it and be like, oh, that's that's them right? Like the Nike symbol, that's just a check mark, a swoosh. Yeah. And everybody knows like, oh, that's them, right? Um, on top of that, things to think about are printing sometimes takes, it costs more if you use more than two or three colors. Mm-hmm. So if you keep it simple and only use say two base colors, then you're going to be a lot better off later on. Right. 
um, using vector files that you can scale to any size in case one day you want to put it on a huge banner or on the side of a truck. Um, so if you talk to somebody who does logos, make sure that you get the vector files from them and not just a JPEG or something. Right. Awesome. Great information there. Okay. Now I'm going to get into my questions that I normally ask. Okay. And we, we talked about this earlier, but Babe Ruth, he was the home run king. He was also the strikeout king. But if you're not swinging the bat, you're not going to ever hit the hit the ball. You're never never going to hit the home run. And you're also never going to strike out. But as an entrepreneur, you have to swing the bat. What is one of failure that you've had where you learned something from it that improved your swing for the next time? Because, I mean, let's, let's face it. If you practice swinging the bat, you're going to get better. And you get better by learning from your mistakes. What stands out to you there? Um, so can I... Tell a short story. Swing away. Okay. When I was 22, I was an extra in a movie and I was a goblin or orc and out in West Desert in Utah. I was wearing 40 or 50 pounds of leather armor and chain mail and I got heat stroke. Okay. And so I'm laying there during this battlefield and everybody thought I was just pretending to be dead or whatever. After the scene, they, the director comes over and he's like, are you okay? And I was, <laughs> I was totally passed out. I wake up and he's like, you got heat stroke bad. We got to get you out of this, this armor. So they rushed me to the uh, makeup trailer, uh, stripped me and down to my underwear, basically. And the, the producer came in to, to talk to me to make sure I wasn't going to sue him or something. And so then he told me, oh, he found out that I was interested in animation. He told me about a couple different studios that I reached out to. So my first animation gig ever was one of these places that this producer told me about and it was for a a movie called dudes and dragons and i was an additional modeler on the movie making 3d models so the the failure here was that i didn't have a contract i had a verbal contract with these people that i would model well actually i did have a contract but what i did was the failure (laughs) was that i didn't understand contracts i guess okay and how serious that was when i made the agreement it was that i was going to spend so many hours modeling so many things right and they said that if i if i met those goals then i would be paid double basically so for me i was like that sounds great you know it's my first job ever um and i ended up i didn't uh have any kind of way to regulate them so I would give them a model and they would come back with changes that they needed made. And because of all these changes, I went way past the deadline. And you didn't make the deadline and, to get paid double. Right. I ended up making about $3 an hour on the project. Um, and so after that, I'm like, I, I'm like, that was a, it was a good experience, but it, I spent hundreds of hours on this project and ended up making two to three, three, two to three dollars an hour. <laughs> and I'd say that that was probably my biggest business failure, just not understanding the whole realm of contracts, which I, I couldn't have. I've, I had never right. been in that situation before. But so are you better at that now? I am better at laying down ground rules before and... <laughs> And you're not the first person on my podcast to mention that. I think so, a photographer that I interviewed said that dealing with some customers was easy. And then you have those customers that are hard to please. And they come back, well, could you do this different? Could you do this different? Could you? And right. pretty soon she's like, I'm working for, for pennies and not dollars. And so I had to learn to set down the ground rules. Like you said, that's, that's good. Now we also, I should say we, I skipped over the side hustle of your movie extras. 
And so oh, yeah. you, you've played in the movie extra scene for a little bit. What have you done? Tell us a little bit about that. Um, so I've, I've been in a couple of movies that are on Netflix. So my first one was a zombie. So Osama bin Laden zombie movie. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was a zombie. And then the next one was this orc movie. It's, uh, they keep changing the name of it, but I think it's called The Curse of the Dragon Slayer. Kind of a mythical thing. I'm on Waffle Street. If you pause the movie right at the 10 minute mark, then I'm walking across the screen. So that's that's the only time I think my face has been in. <laughs> I've done a ton of projects for the church in their commercials and promo videos. Okay. Um, I guess my face has been in those too. But a funny one, I was uh, I showed up and I was wearing a leather coat and I was supposed to be the double, like a, a body double for the main kid in this four minute theme video for the youth. And they ended up cutting everything I was in, but they liked my jacket and ended up having the main kid wear my jacket. <laughs> so, my, so my jacket's in the video, but I'm not. So how would one get started in this? Where would they find the work? There's lots of Facebook groups that are like Utah actors or filmmakers and actors in Utah. Okay. So those, just those types of groups. Just and, do a Google search on something like that. Huh? Right. And people post their auditions all the time. Or you can go to utahactors.ning.com, N-I-N-G.com. They, that's kind of the Utah hub for being an extra, if you want oh, to be okay. an extra. Do you have to audition for the extra? Uh, sometimes. Oh, okay. So sometimes they'll be like, actually, always you need to send in a headshot, which is just a picture of you right. well lit, right? And a resume. If you don't have a resume, it's okay at first. Right. For extra work, it's okay. But sending in, just show them who you are so that the director can look at your picture and be like, yeah, I want him in my movie. I want him to walk across the screen, right? <laughs> I think they never show my face because I probably look about as good as the main actors. Just okay. kidding. Yeah, that's, that's what we all like to <laughs> that, tell that's ourselves. That's what I tell myself. <laughs> all right. Okay. So we're going to go back to my questions, but I thought, yeah, we skipped over your, your movie extra movie doubles or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Okay, so now let's go to, let's take that, that failure question and flip it. If you can pinpoint the elements of success, you can duplicate success. What is a, a success that you've had where you noticed, where you learned something to help maybe duplicate your success? So I'd say the, the principle behind the story that I want to tell is to be memorable okay. and to be, to be somebody that people think about. So when I was... Uh, I was doing musical theater, community theater stuff, and I made a small little paper mache mask for one of the parts. The prop guy saw it and liked it. About a year later, he reached out to me and he said he had he had jumped through crazy hoops to get my contact information because the director's not allowed to give it out, right? <laughs> so, but he like begged him to give him my contact information so that he could get my advice on some paper mache projects for an upcoming play. And when he told me that, I felt like that was a huge success. Like just just being somebody that another person needed, right? Right. And he like I mean that project didn't pay, but it was a it was a project where I was happy to to help and I was part of the the community theater world at that time anyway. Right. There's been a couple other times where somebody has reached out to me specifically because they're like, when I think animator, you're the only animator that I know. <laughs> or like 
that that's kind of a step down, but it's still, they're thinking about me. Right. right? So letting well, people know who you are and being the kind of person that people want to talk to, I guess, as well. Right. And marketing is all about being memorable when people need your services. Right. And, and that's the whole, you know, you're top of mind when they need an animator. That's good. Yeah. That's a good thing. Or no matter what you're doing, I mean, that's the whole point of marketing is to be the person that people think of when they want to go find a side hustle. Hopefully they think of me. Right. Monetize your mindset. Uh, if they want to, an animator, if they want a logo, they want pe- you want people to think of you. Right. Yeah. And Or and so- when you have a logo... If they see a shape, you want them to think of you, right? (laughs) Well, and I I tell people that monetize your mindset. When when that thought came about, when I was just like, wow, this is awesome because nobody had the .com. So I own monetizeyourmindset.com. I was like, man, this is from God. This This is awesome. Yeah. But then if I go in and do the keyword research, nobody's Googling monetize your mindset. That's kind of not a... Yet. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But I dominate... Right. I, I, yeah. I don't even SEO it. And man, if you Google monetize your mindset, I'm at least seven or eight of the top 10 slots. Yeah. And, and I so, actually did that yesterday. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so that's kind of, that's kind of cool. But the fact is I got to, you know, I have to get my name out there to be memorable. Right. You know, and, and, and for something that people will search. Yeah. And the, the thing is, it's kind of, once you hear monetize your mindset, at least in my brain, it makes sense. But then I, my, my own sister grew up with my same dad. She asked me, what does monetize your mindset mean? I'm like, are you serious? We had the same dad and you don't know what monetize your mindset is? But, but yeah, I, I, but I think it's something that people remember and they can go Google it and then I come up. So hopefully it's yeah. going to be big someday. Okay, so now we're going to go to riches or in the ditches. I'm going to give you a project that that someone worked on. And basically, we're going to decide if it was a success or a failure. Okay. And so that's what I mean. Did he hit it rich or did he have to dig a ditch to keep going? Okay. Okay. So there's a guy I know. He has solar panels on his house. And he was given away too much solar to to his electric company. And it just really made him mad that he was given this this free solar to an electric company, and then they were selling it to someone else, and he wasn't getting compensated. So he didn't want to give that solar power away to anybody. Okay. He bought a cryptocurrency machine, and he started mining this coin. Now, you know what a cryptocurrency like machine Bitcoin. is, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's not Bitcoin. But he started mining. Well, it could have been Bitcoin. We're not going to tell you that yet. <laughs> he was mining this machine, and he he has coin after coin after coin coming in on a daily basis. And he's just like, wow, I'm going to be rich. And guess what? He wasn't given power back to the electric company. In the wintertime, he was actually having to pay a little bit because it didn't cover the cost of the electricity for the machine. So was this project, did he make it big and and get rich or is this project in the ditches? From what I know about cryptocurrencies, it would take a lot of mining to make money with it. 
So unless he was on like the first year of Bitcoin, then I would say it didn't work. If it was Bitcoin, then I'd say then he was a success. <laughs> Do you have to pick one? Was he rich or is he in the ditch? Uh, I'm going to say rich. No, he's ah. not rich. Well, <laughs> and some of my listeners probably already heard the story, but the, the person is me. Oh, okay. And I bought a crypto machine for this for the exact reason that I told you, because I hated giving power to the electric company. And it was a crypto machine that was uh, that was doing this obscure coin. And I have almost two million coins. Wow. So the story's not completely told because it could come up. But right now it's only worth about a thousand bucks or less. And my crypto machine cost me three thousand dollars. But not, not quite there yet. But, but <laughs> if that ever goes to twenty five cents or fifty cents or a dollar, I am in the money. Right. So we still we're still waiting to see. We're still waiting for the rest of the story, and we'll maybe it'll come next year. Who knows? Right. All right. How can people connect with you? Um, I'm on LinkedIn as. Spencer Barber, um, Instagram as Squamashi, and YouTube as Spencer Barber or Squamashi. The Squamashi is spelled S-Q-U-A-M-A-S-H-I-I. So if you search that word anywhere, then I'm the only thing that pops up. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a dominating Google that. presence as I well. I actually own the domain, but there's nothing on it yet. My current portfolio website is spencerbarber.weebly.com. Awesome. I just barely finally got around to getting this Kwamashi domain, so I'm working on getting that moved And over. it was available? I am shocked. Yeah, nobody... Nobody that, had Squamashi.com. Nobody had Wow. And every a, time I play an online game or something, that name is always available. It's great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, so last thing I want to ask you here, Spencer, is for the person who is on the fence, they have an idea, but they, for some reason, whether it's capital, whether it's their fear of getting out into the unknown, what is your best advice to help them get off the fence and take action? So the first step I would say is to make a list of why you want that thing. So come up with your why. And if you have a good reason, like if you can convince yourself that this is worth it, then to do it. If it's, if it's a, if you're, if you have a project in mind, that and the problem is capital or whatever else, then finding finding other ways to network with people that might be able to help you get to the first step would be useful. Come up with a list of what what step needs to happen in what order. I need to finish step one before I can even get to step two anyway. So focus on step one. Focus on the first thing on your list and move forward. That's kind of how I'm working through this game that I'm working on. Is I have, okay, I needed to get the rule page written out. And now I need play testing so people can test those rules. But I couldn't do the play testing until I had those rules written out. Right. right? Yeah. So having a list in chronological order of what needs to happen, just so that you can say, this week or today, I'm going to accomplish this one thing just to help myself move forward with it. Say so that's. Right. That, that makes perfect sense. And, and I believe that in the entrepreneurial world and people who are just starting out, that could be a, a big hang up. I know 
just you mention it there, I kind of think, wow, that could be a problem for me because I I know what I need to do, but I don't know that I have it up in a sequence. Whereas if I have it up in a in a prioritized order of what needs to get done first, what's most important per se, mm-hmm. then the key to that is focus on what needs to get done versus getting sidetracked or getting squirreled over somewhere else. Right. Once you have that priority set up, then that could help you focus better and, you know, get it done in the order that needs to be done. And that's where going full circle where the thinking chair is. (laughs) That's, that's what you do in the chair is you think about the project and think about like organize it. That's what I do when I'm meditating what I call meditating, visualizing or whatever, is organizing and planning so that I know, okay, I need to do this next step and then spend 10 minutes doing that a day. And at least you, you're getting through some planning. In, in everything that I do, planning is almost always 90% of the time. So in animation, uh-huh. before you make a movie, you got to do a, a lot of planning. Before you even animate one shot, it takes planning. Do research on how something moves, how somebody walks or whatever, like what something looks like. Do right. all this planning so that when you're finally working on it, you can just do it and it doesn't take you five years to do one step, right? Right. Makes perfect sense and a great, I mean, like you said, full circle back to the thinking chair. Do you have a <laughs> picture of you sitting in the thinking chair? I don't know. I'll have to ask my mom and see if we... Do you, do you have a picture of the thinking chair? I mean... I'm I'm pretty sure we have some in some old photo albums. I could dig one up. And well, I'm, I, that's just awesome. I just, it's kind of funny. <laughs> I loved how you described it. All right, Spencer, thanks for joining us today. And I think there's a lot of valuable information here, especially that last bit about how you talked about you know the animation and how before you even start animating anything, there's planning that has to be done. And 90, 90% of that is planning. You know, ninety percent right. of the job is you planning the animation. I mean, that's that's important for people to know because that not just in animation, like I was telling you, in in putting together a an online program, in in writing a book, you know, in writing my book, I had to have a plan together before I could write. You know, and even if it was just for the for what take it chapter by chapter, I couldn't write chapter one without knowing where I was going on chapter 15 or whatever the last chapter right. is. Right, you got to have some kind of draft of yeah, you got the it. whole idea. You know, you you have to know all in between that and and so that really makes sense and people should really really take a listen to that because that that's something that a lot of people probably don't do enough of. I I'm, I'm guilty. I don't yeah. do I guess I need to do your type of meditation. <laughs> <laughs> so a good example of it is I just my brother-in-law told me about this hospital in China that they spent, I'm probably going to get these numbers wrong, but they spent something like seven years planning how to build this hospital. And then they built it in about two weeks, the whole hospital. Wow. So seven years of planning and then two weeks of work where they had everything organized down to the nail of this is exactly how it's going to happen. And it just happened. Awesome. I mean, that that's totally crazy. And that's probably a little bit of an exaggerate, not an, I'm not exa- saying an exaggeration on the numbers, but 
that if you do the numbers there, the math on that is probably a little bit less of, or a little bit more than 90% of the time was made. Was right. <laughs> That's like 99. <laughs> yeah, 99.999 or whatever it turns out to be. But the, the point is, planning is is important. My dad used to say, felt the plan and you plan to fail. I'm, I'm sure it's not his quotation, but I just remember him telling me that all the time. Right. Yeah. And so I need to consider that more. I need to plan more. I need a thinking chair. Just something comfortable. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Thanks again for joining us today. And I will put all the information in the show notes for everybody that is listening. And we will catch you next time. And until then, go monetize it. Thanks for listening to the Monetize Your Mindset podcast. Podcast. To identify your ideal side hustle. Go to youridealsidehustle.com. Here, take a deep dive into what you like to do, what you need to do, what you're already doing, and then ask, how can I monetize it? Come on back next week for more on how to create financial security so you can deal with whatever happens when whatever happens, happens. Because it will happen.